As uh, Pastor Mac prayed earlier, of course, this is Memorial Day weekend, and this is a time in which we reflect on those who gave the ultimate sacrifice of their own lives so that uh, we could have the freedom we have to even worship today. And uh, we thought the best way perhaps to reflect on that would be through uh, this video. Watch this video. It's so important to honor the fallen soldiers who have given their lives for our country and who have gave the ultimate sacrifice. Memorial Day is a day to, to reflect. Whether you personally know someone or not, these freedoms that we have are paid for by men and women that have fought honorably for this country. We live in such a blessed nation. Our nation has so much to offer. We should never take what we've been given for granted. Freedom uh, costs nothing for some people, but others it costs everything. We can all reach out to family and friends who have, have lost loved ones and, and just reassure them that they didn't give their life in vain. They gave it to protect our nation and for freedom. Find somebody. Thank them. Maybe that'll change your perspective on Memorial Day. Can I just encourage you to take a moment, just pray silently, thank God for our nation, and thank God for those who gave the ultimate sacrifice for our freedom, and then pray for those in the room this size, there may even be someone here who has lost a loved one who fought in, in a recent conflict or war that has sought to keep us secure and safe. And so let's just pause for a moment and take a moment of silent prayer, and then I'll close that silence with prayer. Father, as we enjoy picnics and barbecues and get-togethers this Memorial Day weekend, even the fact that we can do that, like we can gather here to worship today without fear of government intervention, thank you that, um, that we can do that because of the courage and bravery and the sacrifice of men and women who have fought to maintain our independence and our safety and our security as a nation. Pray for the family members of those who lost their lives, securing our independence and our freedom. I pray that you bring comfort to their hearts and, and may they recognize uh, what a great price was paid to, uh, from their loved one to make such a difference in the lives of, of Americans today. And often we forget that, but this weekend, help us to remember that. We love you and thank you for this day in Jesus' name. 
Amen. 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 So Pastor Brian Howard is up here with me. Both of us have been teaching through the book of Ephesians. He's spoken a couple of the messages. I've done the bulk of them. We're coming to the conclusion of this wonderful New Testament book where the Apostle Paul, in prison for preaching the gospel, in the first century writes to the church at Ephesus. And this, this letter that he writes to them from jail is uh, what we call the book of Ephesians in the New Testament. We've been looking at that and studying that. And we've seen in this the incredible themes of the book. And um, as we bring this series to a conclusion, I thought we'd have a discussion together. Thank you, Brian, for being willing to do this. And just sort of discuss some of the major things, the things that we take from this book and, and that really apply to today. And as we do that, we've titled this final message, Grace Unleashed, because this book has talked about the grace we have in Christ, the love of God, the goodness of God that we don't deserve. And when we think about Grace Unleashed, it means that the grace of God is so powerful. It changes lives. It changes communities. It changes uh, the nation. It changes the world when grace, the power of God's grace is unleashed through our lives. And I was thinking of this idea of unleashed, unleashed, and I thought of foghorn leghorn, (laughs) Anybody remember Foghorn Leghorn from the, uh, yeah. the Looney... Not you, not you so much? <laughs> not quite, of, all right. A little bit. Um, Foghorn Leghorn. You remember that dog he would pester? He'd either scream to wake him up or slap him or do something to get his attention. And the dog would go running, but the leash had its limits, right? And so the dog would stop, and Foghorn Leghorn would make fun of the dog... And then later, a little chicken comes along who's kind of ornery and leaves the dog untied a few times, and so Foghorn Leghorn runs, and the dog keeps going and chases him and catches up to him because he's been unleashed. And reading that, or seeing that word and thinking about the word unleashed this week, I thought about grace unleashed. It it has no boundaries. It, It works. It makes a difference, and there are no limits. And we think of the goodness of God, the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, the power of that gospel. We need to know that it is unleashed. It cannot be imprisoned. And we need ourselves as the followers of Christ to put Uh, a lot of our energy and uh, our desire and our hope and our purpose behind that gospel that when unleashed changes hearts, changes lives, changes the world. And so we're going to begin in Ephesians chapter 6, if you want to turn there, looking at the final few verses of this incredible book. And Brian, you're going to read those for us. Yeah, we'll begin in verse 21. If you have your Bible with you, it says, Tychicus, the dear brother and faithful servant of the Lord, will tell you everything so that you also may know how I am doing and what I am doing. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that you might know how we are and that he might encourage you. Verse 23 says, Peace to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God the Father and, our, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. Now we read these final words in the book of Ephesians, and and what I think Paul does at the very end of the book of Ephesians is he goes back to the theme that he began the book with, and really the thread that runs through all of it, and you'll see this here in the beginning of verse 24, it's this word grace. We'll see this grace that has completely saturated the book of Ephesians, and it's that same grace that you'll see in verse 23 that gives us a faith that we have with God, where we're right with God through Jesus Christ. It gives us a peace that we have amongst one another, our our friends, our family, and our church family. And it gives us a love for everyone else in the world so that really it is this grace that changes everything. 
And today what we want to do as we think about that grace and the impact it has on our lives is we want to look back through the entire book of Ephesians and pull out some of the major themes um, that, Pastor Sean, you've identified that we're going to be looking at today. Uh, And in order to do that, in order to kind of look back at what Ephesians reminds us of, uh, I want to go back to the very beginning. We said that Ephesians was a book that was filled with ancient answers for modern questions. Uh, Like, in other words, questions like, why is the world the way it is, and why are things so wrong, and what's the purpose of my life, and why are we here anyway, are questions every generation asks, and the book of Ephesians gives us a solid answer to those questions. So, Pastor Sean, I want to ask you seven questions today, and um, hopefully from the book of Ephesians, we can have clear answers to each of those questions as we reflect on these final words that Paul gives us that show us the rest of the book. So, so let me start, Pastor Sean, with a, with a fairly um, softball question, a real easy one. Um, can you start with this? What is the root cause of every problem in the world? <laughs> That's a pretty simple uh, question. The root cause of every problem in the world is sin and its consequences. If you go back to the Garden of Eden, God created Adam and Eve and things were perfect. Uh, He gave them one instruction, one area they were not to eat of this tree. They could enjoy everything else, but this particular tree in the garden they were not to eat. They ate of that tree, they disobeyed God, and then we read there is a curse that is placed on all of creation. And so now we either suffer from direct sin of others or we suffer from the consequences of our sin or the sin of others. And that curse that's hovering over us is causing all kinds of havoc in our world. And one day Jesus is going to return. It's all groaning right now, but the book of Romans says one day Jesus Jesus will return and make everything right. And it'll be restored to what it was, an original creation. But right now we live in a world that is groaning. We live in a world where sin and its consequences do impact all kinds of areas of our lives and of our world. I love how the Apostle Paul says it. If you go to Ephesians chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. We were spiritually dead without Christ. Anyone without, without Jesus is spiritually dead, in which you used to live in these sins when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, that's Satan, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Notice that we're spiritually dead, and there is this condemnation, this judgment that hovers over us. Like everyone else, every human being is born a sinner. Every human being is born under this wrath, deserving of wrath. And so we have this sin problem and its consequences. Paul told the Corinthian church, the God of this world, referring to Satan, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe, lest they should have the light of the glorious gospel of Christ shine into them. This is a world in which we live where those without Christ are spiritually dead, they are blind, and Satan is doing everything he can to cause them not to hear the good news of Jesus, not to see the light of the gospel. And so the things that we face in our world today are part of that darkness. And sometimes we as Christians expect non-believers to live like believers when we ought to understand they're spiritually dead. My dad used to say to Troy and I that he couldn't believe people in the world who didn't have Christ didn't even act worse than they do. Because without Christ, that darkness, that deadness, that gratifying of the flesh that's described here, that's who we are. We're, We're caught in our greed and our arrogance and our lust. And so there is this sin and its consequences, and everything that we experience in the brokenness of this world and its systems 
is related to sin and its consequences. And I think this statement should really shape how we see the world. It should shape how we interpret the world. You know, we go through weeks like this um, where, where all of us, I, I just believe, reacted with grief and sorrow and anguish and even anger uh, over what happened in Uvalde, Texas at, at Robb Elementary School. And, and we see this kind of wickedness and evil. There's just no other word for it. It is that kind of wickedness and evil. And what you're saying, Pastor Sean, is actually the root cause of this is the same root cause as all the other problems in the world, uh, and that's sin and its consequences. Right. And you, if you that shooting, our hearts break. And I so appreciated Pastor Mac's prayer that we're to weep with those who weep. Yeah. And now as we hear the story, there's confusion about what took place. There's, there's discussion about mental health issues and guns and all these things. And all of that is a symptom of the deeper-rooted issue, which is the condition of the human heart. And we have to understand that that's behind everything. We can look at, at sociological and political and socioeconomic solutions but ultimately, the real solution is the change of heart that is needed because of sin and its consequences and how, as human beings without Christ, we are trapped in that darkness. Yeah. You think every worldview, every religion has a certain story they tell, and the story has to do with why is the world the way it is? Why are things broken? Why do things go wrong? And for so many, the answer is because people don't have enough money or they don't have enough power or enough education. There are all sorts of different answers to the question, why is the world the way it is? And we see the root cause for, for, for the Bible, especially the book of Ephesians, is that sin is the problem. And, and Pastor Sean, if sin is the ultimate problem, what, what is our ultimate hope in the midst of that? Our ultimate hope simply is Jesus Christ. And I say that knowing that many of us are very familiar with that, but we can get so passive and understanding that he is the answer. He is the solution. He is the one who takes people from being dead because of his death, burial, and resurrection. They can have new life. They can be regenerated. Their hearts can be alive to him. They can begin to understand the world from his perspective. They can begin to walk in obedience to him and to his views, not just what laws have been established or what they've been educated to do. This is not just about a morality. This is about a radical change from the inside out that comes through Jesus. I read verses 1 through 3 of Ephesians chapter 2, and it talks about right away, it says, as for you, you were dead. You were spiritually dead. But now look at Ephesians 2, 4, and 5. But, this is right after, you are dead and you are deserving of wrath. But, because of his great love for us, God, but God. The two, some of the two most powerful words in all of Scripture, that was true of us. But because of his great love for us, God. But God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. By grace, the goodness of God. Here's that grace. And we see in this book constantly this, this phrase, in him, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. It's who we are. In Ephesians 1, 7 and 8, we saw early in our study of this book, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. The goodness of God is love that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. Then some very famous verses in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. For it is by grace, God's goodness you don't deserve. You have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by good works, so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork. We are God's masterpiece, created, here it is again, in Christ Jesus, to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Here's the clarity of our hope. It's in Jesus. 
It's in Jesus. It's the root of everything. Every issue in the world is the spiritual deadness. But because Christ is alive, he can make us alive. And the key here is that we approach him and we are saved by his grace, his goodness, through our expression of faith in him. And I think it's really important for us to understand that God calls each of us to that place where we put our faith in Jesus Christ. You know, Pastor Sean, one of the things you've pointed out throughout um, our study of the book of Ephesians, if you'll remember, is that the first three chapters have no commands in them. The, the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians are all announcements of who God is and what he has accomplished through Christ on our behalf. And then chapters 4, 5, and 6, the back half of the, the book, really have commands that because of what God has done, therefore, here's how we respond to God's goodness and to his grace. And I think that's a good reminder for us this morning that when we talk about the good news of Jesus, the good news of Jesus is not a command. The good news of Jesus is an announcement. And here is the announcement of Jesus, that Christ came into this world to save sinners, that Christ came into this world to rescue us from our sin, to bring us into the family of God, to forgive our sins and give us a home with him forevermore. And he does this not through our merit or through our good works or through anything we can accomplish or do, but rather he does this through his death on the cross and his victorious resurrection from the dead. And the announcement of the gospel is this, that those who would call upon the name of the Lord will be saved, will be rescued. Again, not because of what we have accomplished, but because of who Christ is and what he's done. The book of Ephesians is this very clear reminder that the gospel is not a command we obey, it is an announcement we receive with joy. And maybe you're here today and you've heard that announcement, you've heard that good news, and today's the day you will receive that invitation and embrace Christ as your Savior. You can do that right where you are. And if we can help you, Brian and I will be in the lobby after the service. We can answer any questions you might have. Our care and prayer team are down front after the final song just to help you with any need and pray with you. They'll be available. And then, uh, especially for those of you online, I know you're not able to be in the room and join us in those locations, uh, but for you online, and even for those of you in the room, one way you can communicate with us today's today, accepted Christ, or some questions you might have, is just to text the name Jesus to the number below me on the screen. Just text the name Jesus to that number, and you'll get information back and encouragement back on what it means now to know Jesus, to walk with him since you've embraced that good news, and then we'll follow up with you. Someone on our team will reach out to you to make sure you know what it means now to walk with him, because Christ truly is our only hope. Yeah. And I know for so many of you, that is something you did. You called upon the name of the Lord years or even decades ago, and you've been walking with your Jesus. And, and yet, if you're anything like me, you know that sometimes you still stumble in your sin. Sometimes you still fall short. Sometimes you're not living up to the calling you've received from Christ. And so uh, from time to time, in, in my own heart, there creeps in this voice that says, you've sinned too much, you've fallen too short, God's sick and tired of you, you're no longer saved, you're no longer part of the family of God. These are the lies that I start to hear, and maybe you've experienced the same. And so Pastor Sean, for anyone in this room who says, you know what, I am a follower of Jesus, but I worry sometimes that I've sinned too much or fallen too short. For that type of person, what, what word would you speak? Or if I could put it this way, what, what, what is the basis? or the guarantee of our eternal security with Christ? The guarantee of our eternal security is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is given to us. I love these verses in the first part of uh, this wonderful book in chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. He says, And you also were included in, in Christ, there it is again, when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed, the moment you believed, you were marked in him with a seal. What is the seal? The promised Holy Spirit 
And what does this seal do for us? Who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. He is the guarantee. He is the deposit. He is with us until we are with Jesus. And so we're not only forgiven by God when we embrace that good news, but we're given the Holy Spirit to be present with us. And we saw even in this book that we can be controlled by the Spirit that brings joy and gratitude and humility into our lives. It affects our everyday lives, as you talked about the latter half of the book, emphasizes that. It is the Holy Spirit that is our guarantee. And so if you know Christ as Savior, he has given you the presence of God the Holy Spirit to help you know that you are secure in him. And we're secure in him, not just today or the next day or the day after that, but forever and ever. There will never come a moment where as children of God, we have to worry about our salvation or our security. But then you think about that word forever and ever. And then I think about this room. If you look around for just a second, you and I, we're stuck together for all of eternity, okay? Like this is forever. And so if we're all stuck together for all of eternity, and this is a forever type thing, I think the next question I want to ask as we look at the, the book of Ephesians is, man, how, how are we supposed to treat one another? How are we supposed to interact with one another given that this is a forever thing? I'll put it this way. What is the basis for our unity together in Christ? You know, we could think that our unity is that we have the same political ideology or the socioeconomics are the same or we just happen to be in the same community and we can, we can look for things that we would say would make us united as the local expression of, of Christ's body, the church known as Calvary Community Church. But actually, our unity together is all about the, the cross and Christ, Christ and his cross. That's the basis for our unity. That's how we are united together. Old preachers used to say the ground is level at the foot of the cross. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. We all come to the cross, and that gives us this, this unity that we pursue together. And I have this kind of idealistic outlook on what the church is supposed to be, that in our worship services, on our ministry teams, in our small groups, that we are pursuing unity with one another, not because we agree on every issue or every solution to the problems of this world, but that we agree on Christ together, and we'll figure it out from there. Yeah. But we're going to love each other. And I love the passages that talk about how Christ and the cross are the basis of our unity together. We read in Ephesians 2, 14 to 18, for he himself, again talking about Jesus, is our peace who has made the two groups, speaking of Jews and Gentiles, one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away, that's the Gentiles, and peace to those who were near, that's the Jews, for through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. We all come to the Father through the Spirit of God who indwells us because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. I get there the same way you do, and that's true no matter what our ethnicity is, uh, the skin color is, no matter what our education level is, no matter what our political party is, our unity is in Christ. And it's interesting, they had two buckets, right? The Jews and the Gentiles, and it seems today we've gotten so polarized, there's two buckets, the Democrats and the Republicans. There ought to be a, a space within the body of Christ where we reach people of both groups and, yeah. and that the wall of partition between us is broken down because our unity is Christ. 
There's a place for us to be involved in politics as individuals. And if we had the Democratic Party chairman here and the Republican Party chairman here, we're part of the church, we'd celebrate that. And there's a way in which we can, we can in, uh, be individually engaged in politics. But the heartbeat of the church is we're to pursue unity with one another and respect and love. And look at what else he says in chapter 4, verses 14 through 16, after talking about the people given to the church to help build up the body and equip the saints for the ministry we, we are told, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. As we lean in and we pursue our unity in Christ, no matter what our differences are, as we pursue that unity, that unity begins to make a difference in the world because other people see something different. And Jesus said, by your love for each other, the world around you will know that you are truly my followers. And so it's important for us to understand that the basis of our unity together isn't who the pastor is or what the building looks like or its physical location or any of those things. It's Jesus Christ. It's Christ and his cross. Yeah, I know as we were prepping this year's sermon calendar, uh, you can imagine we have, you know, 66 books to choose from, all different topics, all sorts of different things we could do to teach through. But really quickly, Ephesians was on your radar, something you wanted to do. And my sense is that this unity is really one of the heartbeats of why you wanted to teach through Ephesians. Yeah, I see outside voices ripping the church apart in America. And I see believers at each other's throats over all kinds of things. And we're supposed to keep our eyes on Jesus the author and finisher of our faith. And I think Satan gets the advantage and he keeps more people in darkness and away from that good news, that light of the gospel, when we are at war with one another, when there's friction and fighting, rather than a, a real heart to show persuasive love to one another and to pursue unity in Christ. Yeah, one of the great defeaters of unity is, is finding an enemy that's not our true enemy. And so I don't know if you've noticed this in the world, but it's actually pretty easy to gain a following and to get a lot of donations and money if you just set up an enemy out there to say, this person is our enemy, so let's go fight against this person or this institution or, or, or this thing. Uh, and yet one of the things that can destroy our unity really quickly is when we start when we stop to realize who our real enemy is and instead start fighting each other. So, Pastor Sean, according to the book of Ephesians, who is our true enemy? We saw this last week as we talked about putting on the whole armor of God, right? This is spiritual warfare. This is a spiritual issue. And Satan is doing all he can to keep as many people in darkness as he possibly can. He is our true enemy. Our true enemy is Satan and his demonic influence. We read last week, it was so clear in, in Ephesians 6, 10 through 12, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the whole armor, the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Not the schemes of, of, of people with a different perspective, not the schemes of those who run social media or the media or the entertainment world or the, the things that are going on in Sacramento and, or Washington, D.C., but these are the schemes of the devil. And uh, he says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. You are not my enemy. I'm not your enemy. Nobody I pass at Ralph's or at Target is my enemy or at Costco. My enemy is very clear here. It says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world. And those are specific references 
to layers in the armies of the demonic forces of Satan and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. We need to understand who our enemy is and what he is doing. He is working very hard to make sure that people uh, think this is the enemy, this is the enemy, because if we understand that he is the enemy and he's trying to stir up our flesh, he's trying to stir up the world's philosophy to keep people in the dark and to keep this world broken and aching, then we, we really miss out if we're chasing other things and fighting other people. Ultimately, underneath it all, Satan is the one who is stirring up the lust, the greed, the arrogance of our world to keep people in that darkness and to keep people spiritually blind. Well, and I think when we fail to identify the right enemy, our, our, our energy goes sideways and we actually miss out on the calling that God has in our lives. And my, my calling is not to fight against you or anyone else. It's not to fight against people in this world, but rather to do something different entirely. And so, Pastor Sean, the sixth question here, what, 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 according to the book of Ephesians, what is our calling in life? Our calling in life is very simple, and yet I get very excited about it. And I'm passionate about it as much today as I was when I started in the pastoral ministry 30 years ago. Our calling in life is sharing Christ, sharing Christ with others by our lives and by our lips, that people can see Jesus in us and how we live at work, in our neighborhoods, wherever we go, that we have the opportunity to share the hope of the gospel with them. And uh, that's what's going to change this world, is sharing Christ and who he is and, and talking about that gospel. Uh, when, we, when we look into the book of Ephesians, there are a couple of ways in which Paul talks about this calling. In uh, Ephesians 3, 7 through 8, he says, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power, although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people. This is the Apostle Paul saying, I am less than the least of all God's people. This grace, this good news, this goodness of God I don't deserve was given to me. What is it? To preach the Gentiles, to the Gentiles, the boundless riches of Christ. You can look up here and say, all right, Brian and Sean, you are preachers. You stand up on the platform. You preach. That, that makes you a preacher and a proclaimer. That, that's what Paul's talking about here. Paul's talking broader here. Yes, he's a formal, formally, he's, uh, formally he is a preacher of God's word. He's in jail for that. But it's about all of us proclaiming and understanding. If Paul says he's the least of all of the Lord's people, and yet he understands this need to proclaim the hope and love that's found in Jesus Christ, we need to be proclaiming that. We need to be sharing that good news. We don't only just share the good news. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 talks about living out the love of Christ. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. We're to love each other and to love the people around us in this world, our neighbors. We're to love them as Christ has loved us. That's a high mark. And that's to be a part of how we communicate in this calling. Yes, we proclaim and declare and share the good news of Jesus Christ, but then we show them what the love of God does in our lives and how it allows us to love them. And then finally, we're not only to proclaim it in this calling, uh, we're to live out this love, but then we're to live out the light of Christ, something that is distinct and different. And part of the reason the, the darkness hovers in the hearts of human beings is because the world often has some of the same troubles, the, the church has some of the same troubles the world has, and so the world looks at the church and says, wait a minute, you don't live any differently. You're talking about these issues, and then you all are guilty of these same thing, same things. We need to be Salt and light. We need to be light, something that brings contrast and distinction. In Ephesians 5, 
8 through 10, he says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. We ought to be people of integrity and morality. We ought to be people who ourselves are obeying God because our lives have been made alive. We can now see the world from God's perspective. I mentioned earlier, it's hard for us to expect non-believers to live like believers, but we ought to expect believers to live like believers. And our goal here in this is to proclaim the good news, to show that love, to be the light, so that the world around us clearly sees Jesus. And, and our mission and our goal is not to make socioeconomic changes, sociological changes, political changes, so that people will obey God's values because otherwise the law is going to get them. Ultimately, our goal is that people will live out the morality from God's perspective and his values. They'll live in obedience to God because they see life from his values. It's the transformation of the heart and life. And when that happens, the world is changed one heart at a time, one life at a time, one family, one community, and ultimately the world is turned upside down. And sometimes we say, well, that's, that's kind of a, uh, people will look at me, that's so naive. Oh, I believe in the power of the gospel. The gospel has transformed nations and turned our world upside down many times in history. And I believe in the power of the gospel. And I think when we put our efforts and energies as a church, I'm not talking about as individuals, there, there's a place for politics in our culture and all that. There's a place for education. There's a place for those things. We talked earlier about how when we send missionaries, we send missionaries to other countries. We don't say to them, go and change their education system. Go and figure out how to make laws in their land that will reflect God's word. We don't say, go and do this. What we say to them is, go take the gospel. See people come to Jesus, disciple them. And then as they get into politics and they get into the economics, as they get into education, those things are, are the symptoms that are changed as hearts and lives are changed by the power of the gospel. And so as we look back across the book of Ephesians, we see that power of the gospel changing individual lives and through individual lives being changed, God is doing incredible things in and through those lives and in and through his church in the world. And so really that brings us to our final question. And, and Pastor Sean, as much as we talk about, uh, this is about people meeting Jesus and coming to him, it's not that you and I aren't burdened for the things of this world. It's not that we're not burdened for what we see in our community, in our nation, in our world. It's just that there is an approach we think the Bible has toward how the world changes. So uh, I started with a, a, a pretty big question. Let me, let me lob a big one up to you at the end here. Um, how does the world change? The world changes through the power of grace unleashed. Us living it out, us sharing it, sharing that good news of Jesus, sharing the goodness we've experienced, showing the love that we've experienced in Christ to others, extending that love to people that really rub us the wrong way, we disagree with, they irritate us when we see their tweets, or we're irritated by them when we see them on TV, but it's unleashing the grace of God through our lives and through our testimony and sharing that so other people can come to Jesus. Grace unleashed, and what happens is, this reshapes the whole world one life at a time. Jesus sent 12 men out and said, go unleash my grace. Go and make disciples of every nation. Then when they come to, to me as Savior, teach them to observe all things I've commanded you. Again, we think, well, we, we, we've got to win something. We've got to take over. We've got to get power. We've got to get into the structures. We've got to... No, Jesus released 12 men who had no power, no authority other than his. Yeah. And they went out 
And the Roman Empire was brought to his knees within generations as Christianity spread. And those few 12 people made such a difference that the world was turned upside down as one life was changed, one heart was changed over time, and it turned the world upside down. And it is a sustainable. It's not just changed by who comes into power or who doesn't. When there is a movement of God, the grace of God is unleashed through lives, and people are coming to Jesus, it changes everything. Yeah, so I think... Um, we're, oh, we're, let me just read, gonna read this. Yeah. <laughs> Ephesians 3, I got so excited about it. Ephesians 3, 17 to 21... I like how it says this. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love surpasses knowledge. It's not just an intellectual argument we're a part of. It's not trying to win a debate or prove other people wrong. It is the love of Christ that breaks every barrier that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do, and here's what he's able to do, immeasurably, you can't even measure it, more than we can ask or imagine. Why do I get excited about the gospel? Why do I get excited about how the gospel can turn this nation upside down, can turn the world upside down? Is because our God is able to do beyond what we could ever dream or think. The believers of the first century had no idea that within just a couple of generations, the whole Roman Empire and the world would be turned upside down by the gospel. And then we read, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. And you think about when Paul writes these words as he's writing the book of Ephesians, that the number of Christians, it's hard to put an exact number, but probably in the thousands, right? Number of people who know Jesus and walk with him and have been born again by the Spirit. He writes that God is able to do immeasurably more than all you ask or imagine. And today, we don't count the number of Christians in the thousands. We count it in the billions to see what God has done throughout time. And the way Christ has accomplished this is one life at a time being changed changed by the grace of Christ over and over and over again, and God does something miraculous with that. And so our approach as a church is just to mirror what Paul says, that that same thing as the gospel just exponentially grows might happen in our community, in our season, in our time, uh, and through our church. And so this is the approach, and this is what we believe in. The book of Ephesians really shapes not just what we think about, but how we do ministry here at this church and what our approach is. Now, Pastor Sean, I know uh, recently you came across a resource that really helps um, articulate and explain a little of how we approach the world uh, with respect to the question, how does the world change? Yeah, I uh, had been thinking about writing uh, a book and had been putting some chapters together, working with my daughter Katie, who is a great writer, and I thought I'd write a book on how a church stays focused on the gospel with all the noise of polarization in our, in our world and all the different solutions people are coming up with. And, and um, and then uh, you told me a book was coming out by Pastor Andy Stanley uh, on this topic. And I just, when I, I, I got the book, and this is the first book I think I've ever read in like 18 hours uh, without being assigned it in yeah. seminary or somewhere. And we even had an elders meeting that night. And I just couldn't put it down because I kept identifying with this. And I, I took all my notes and just deleted them. And I thought, no one would read my book anyway, but he, he has such a platform. <laughs> Others will read it, and I just got a hold of this, and it's called uh, Not In It to Win It, Why Choosing Sides Sidelines the Church. And it's a great resource, and I'm going to encourage you to get it. It's the heart of what we're talking about here. 
We're going to have folks who are part of both political parties that are part of our church. We're going we're gonna to have all the noise that, that's in the world, and yet we've got to pursue unity together. And, and our passion is that the answer is the gospel ultimately to all these things, and that the solutions flow out of that. And so this book really represents, I think, the heart of who we are. Now, he's a preacher, so he gets a little preachy and a little stern at times, a little direct. I think mine would have been that way too, maybe more than his, and he's got a little more grace perhaps. Uh, but this is a great resource to understand how we view our engagement in this world and answering those questions and tackling those things. I think Andy Stanley has, has really nailed this. Now, this is for Calvary Community Church. This is where our elders and where our leadership are, and this is where I've been my entire career, nothing has changed on this for me, is focused on the gospel and the gospel of Jesus Christ. But I understand there are going to be churches that will be more to uh, kind of the, the progressive left or the conservative right, and if they're preaching Jesus, we're going to celebrate that. But we're going to remain focused on Jesus and not be drawn in to the politics and all the different economic and other solutions that people want. People can be involved in that, and I hope redeemed people will be involved in all those areas, and as they are, that's going to turn this world upside down. But as a church, this really explains our heartbeat to making sure that we get Jesus to the people around us every day, because Jesus is the answer. So we have a copy of this book by Andy Stanley for every household here this weekend at Calvary. They are on tables in the lobbies. There are three tables. You can go and take one. We're saying one per household. So if you are single, that's one copy. If you are married, that is, and that's one household, you one copy. If you are a family, take one copy. If I haven't covered your situation, take one copy, all right? I don't know. I don't want to get in. I don't want to figure all that out. But we're thinking one per household here so that this can be a resource to help you. I got so excited because I believe that when grace is unleashed through our lives and unleashed through our testimonies and unleashed in the way we live, what the book of Ephesians says is grace unleashed turns the world upside down one life at a time. And if I led one person to Christ and you led one person to Christ and we all led one person to Christ in this next year and then those people in the next year led one person to Christ, do you see the multiplication that would happen? We need to be passionate about the gospel. Yeah, so I'd encourage you to pick up one uh, for your household uh, and to do that on your way out today. Uh, and I know just for so many of you, you're going to read this book and it's going to be a blessing and an encouragement to you. Uh, at times as I was reading it, he put into words what I've been thinking and feeling but haven't been able to articulate. And I'm sure so many of you will have the same experience. Um, I, I imagine when reading through this book, there will be moments that uh, we all experience when reading through a book that um, you, you disagree with something. And so if you find something on page 67, paragraph 4, sentence 2 that you don't like, that that's okay. We, we don't have to agree with everything someone says in order to understand the heartbeat behind this book. And so that's our real goal is that this would be in your hands to understand an approach, an idea, uh, a way of not only looking at the scriptures, but looking at the world of how the church is supposed to approach it. Uh, and then we understand that, that some will read this book and, and really not like it or, or really have a different view than Andy Stanley presents or that we've been articulating. Uh, and our only request is if you send us an email and want to get together
together uh, with us for a meeting about this book. The only requirement is that you must have first actually read the book, okay? Uh, and, and not a blog about the book or something you heard from someone else or saw on the internet about the book, but to actually give it a read, to read it all the way through, uh, and then to engage with it thoughtfully and critically, because here's what we believe. Um, this book is called Not In It to Win It, uh, and really it comes off the idea that Jesus Christ came into the world with all the authority and the power of heaven, and he could have taken the throne of Rome, he could have ruled over everyone, and yet what did Jesus do instead? He gave his life as a ransom for many. And because Jesus laid his life down sacrificially, he was raised victoriously by the Spirit of God. That is the heartbeat of this book. It is the heartbeat of our church. And it is what we remember every time we turn to the communion table. We're going to close this morning by taking a moment to take communion. So I want to invite those of you who are online right now uh, to get your elements and those in the room uh, to grab the packet you had when you walked in as we turn to remember the Lord's table. The elements of communion are our memorial day. Jesus left this as a memorial for us to think of his death until he comes, Paul tells us. And the cup represents the blood that Jesus shed on our behalf for the forgiveness of sins. The bread reminds us that he came in bodily form to us, that he didn't just expect us to find our way. He came to us, that he suffered and died, was buried and was raised, and is coming again one day to set all things right. So the bread reminds us that our Savior came to us, that he suffered in innocence for us on the cross. And this reminds us of his body. Jesus said, take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Let's partake together. Father, thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you for what this bread represents in terms of your redemptive plan. You came to us in your love and grace. You sent your son to walk among us, to understand life, to be sinless and go to the cross for us, to conquer the grave for us, to be raised and ascended to you and one day coming back for, back for us and now interceding in our behalf. Thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you that he came in human flesh. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. That same night he took the cup and after giving thanks, he said, this is the cup of the new covenant the new way human beings and God are going to relate to one another. This is the cup of the new covenant shed for the forgiveness of sins, the cup of my blood. Every time we turn to the cup, we remind ourselves that on the cross of Jesus Christ, his blood actually covers our sins. And it doesn't just cover the sins we committed before we came to Christ, but it, it covers the sins we committed this morning. The sins we'll commit this afternoon or tomorrow or 10 years from now. When I drink this cup, I remember that my sin is fully and finally forgiven, my sins past, present, and future. When I take this cup, I'm reminded that because of the blood of Jesus, I am welcomed in as a child of God. My sins are forgiven, and I am given a home with him forevermore. Child of God, this morning, would you take and drink in remembrance of Christ? Father in heaven, thank you for the cup. Thank you for the reminder that Christ's blood shed on the cross has the power to forgive sins, that there is power in the name of Jesus and in the blood of Jesus. God, I pray for anyone in this room, for any saint who's struggling right now, who feels far from you, who feels too sinful, too wicked, too beaten down by the, the circumstances of this world and the sins of their flesh. God, I pray you would remind them that their security is not found in their behavior, but in the blood of Jesus Christ shed for them. 
God, encourage our hearts this morning. Remind us of our security. Thank you for Jesus, and thank you for his blood shed for us. We pray this in Christ's name, and all God's people said, amen. We began our service by singing, This is Amazing Grace. As we conclude our study of the book of Ephesians, what a wonderful book, reminding us who we are in Christ before God and then how we walk in this world. And how we walk makes a difference. Ultimately, as we walk in this world as the followers of Christ, our lives can be a part of turning this world upside down and helping people see life and their purpose in life from God's perspective. I'm gonna ask you just to join me in a closing prayer as we just thank God uh, for his amazing grace. Father, I so thank you for what the Apostle Paul communicated from a prison cell and his heart to the believers. Writing from prison, he tells them, what do we do now as, as the world is against us and seems to be going the other way? What we do is we communicate Jesus and help us not to get distracted. Help us to understand there are gonna be different types of people from different perspectives in settings within the local assembly, but that we're all focused on Jesus, and we're all trying to grow, and we're all trying to sense what God's perspective is, and to live that out in our lives, to love one another, and to share that good news with others. Thank you for this incredible book. Thank you for communion, where we could reflect and remember and celebrate your goodness to us, your grace to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.